I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today, I have Sheila Burrell. She is a two-time Olympian in the heptathlon, as well as multiple-time uh, national champion in the heptathlon. She is currently the head cross-country and track coach at San Diego State University, entering her 13th year, I believe. And so thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Also a real grand high school graduate. Don't forget that. A real grand. I meant to, I meant to add that in there. <laughs> you know, born and raised here in Albuquerque. <laughs> Which is amazing. Like, I, oh, that's, I, I mean, and obviously this is based on running in New Mexico. And I, I love talking to all these athletes and from all walks. And, and you've had quite a career. So, I'm, like I told you before, I'm excited to talk with you. <laughs> um, and you're coaching. Where are you coaching at? I'm at San, Sandia High School. At Sandia. How long have you been coaching there? I've been an assistant for six years and this is my first year as the head cross-country coach okay great yeah, yeah when i was in, when i was in school here uh chicarello coach prentice jones um obviously was a was a coach my coach down at rio but coach chicarello who had been a highland McQuaid and a few other places who's probably pretty should go into the high school hall of fame here i think is a high school coach in albuquerque but all over the state um he ended up becoming kind of like a family friend of ours over the years coached my cousin um, when she was in uh, junior high and high school. And so uh, there's been some uh, some pretty cool coaches or good coaches here in New Mexico, in Albuquerque in particular, that uh, that I stayed in touch with over the years or came back and saw a coach from Del Norte that started the Great Southwest Meet was the beginning of that stuff. So all of that, it's been, um, we've got some good coaches that uh, cared about the kids here in Albuquerque. Oh, we absolutely do. Uh, I, I was lucky to have uh chicarello on the podcast as well and he is just oh, chick. <laughs> he has he is such a wealth of knowledge and he loves it i mean he is like, <laughs> <laughs> it is i mean seeing him out on the side of the track still i mean it's just it's amazing that he's still yeah. doing it and and doing it at the level he's still doing it at yeah he's he's fantastic i, I love him <laughs> <laughs> So how did you get into running? Where did that start? Um, uh, legitimately, I, you know, I started I, my first, I guess, running group or club was the Albuquerque Olympic Club, oh, which wow. no longer exists. But there was a, a track club called AOC back in the day when I was competing. And it was AOC, Duke City Dashers. It was the Albuquerque Dust Devils. And I can't remember the other team. Those are the two or three big ones. Um, when I started running, I was going to Harrison High School down here in the Valley. And uh, and a friend of mine said, hey, you're fast. Do you want to run? <laughs> you should come out. But I think before that, you know, before, before going out for, you know, running for a track club, it was just one of those things where I was just, you know, a, a fast kid in school. I was kind of the girl that uh, got picked first, you know, when playing uh, – kickball or you know we had PE 
any of those kinds of things. It was always kind of cool to be the, you know, the girl that was faster than all the boys. <laughs> and uh, when when we had games that came up that, you know, everybody wanted, that wanted me on their team. So that was that was pretty cool when I was young. And I was a shy kid, too. So um, being able to be a, a good athlete was sort of the thing that um, that made me stand out because I didn't talk very much back then. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's pretty amazing. That's uh, it's it's funny hearing everybody's start story, whether it's you know family or you know coaches or somebody you know a friend just calling. I'm like, hey, come on out. And I mean, when did when did you realize like, how oh, I I like this. I I think I can kind of continue this for a while. <laughs> when I first started running with uh, AOC, um. I used to get my butt kicked every, there's this one girl who Duke City Dashers who was like the, you know, the sprinter. She was one the hundred, one the 200 all the time. And used to kick my ass every time we raced. <laughs> and, um, and I remember like, you know, I just started running. I didn't really run. I knew I'd wanted to go to the Olympics at the age of 12, but I hadn't started running or anything yet. Right. And so, um, this girl used to kick my butt every single time we raced. It was summer track. And then I, I remember the first time I beat her. The first time I beat her, it was like a big deal for me, at least. The first time I beat her, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be good at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, this, this is when it was like, it got fun. You know, it's always fun to win. Um, especially when you got, when you were, when you were getting beat all the time. And then finally, I think it was in, it, I don't know if it was my first year running or my second year running that I beat her, but I remember when I when I finally when I finally beat this girl, and it was like it was like oh, okay, I'm good. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I it like you said, it just it feels so much better when you're when you can be at the top and when you're beating people, and it's such a it's such an extra motivator once you see that that progress of like oh this kid used to beat me and now i'm i'm beating them or my times are getting faster it's and i had to have been about gosh i had to have only been about like 13 years old <laughs> you know i wasn't it wasn't like i was in high school i was still in i was still pre-high school when this when all this happened <laughs> <laughs> so it's a big deal you know when you're yeah. that it, I, I mean, it, it obviously imprinted on you. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd you, how did he, how'd you go from, you know, the running and everything into then, you know, getting kind of into the, the multis? Cause you know, obviously heptathlon requires uh, a few other things besides just running. So I, I, I didn't know what the heptathlon was until I was recruited, to be honest with you. I had no idea what this event was until I started going through the recruiting process but before that, you know, I played, I played volleyball in high school. Um, as a freshman in high school, I never played volleyball before. But the coach there, Sandra Rockwell, uh, used to take me during PE class and teach me how to pass and how to how to um, set, how to hit. So she saw that I was a good athlete in PE class, and so she would take my PE class time and work with me on the side to teach me how to play volleyball. And I ended up, um, you know, playing volleyball and sitting on the bench for the varsity team my freshman year in high school. And then I played basketball. And then I also ran track. And so in playing basketball in high school, I, uh, 
I was on the, the freshman quote unquote C team, which was my probably my most favorite team uh, that I played on in high school. <laughs> I love basketball. Actually, was a bigger. I actually liked basketball probably a little bit more than track in high school. I just happened to be better at track. Um, and so I was, you know, played C team freshman, freshman uh, basketball my freshman year. And then sophomore year got pulled between a little bit of JV and, and varsity. But the varsity girls didn't really like me because I was, you know, um, you know, I sat the bench. They didn't want me to play and all this kind of stuff. It's girl stuff. <laughs> and um, and I wanted to be with my friends. So I would I didn't mind staying with my friends at <laughs> <laughs> uh, the beginning there. So. I think it was more so that I was more of a well-rounded athlete. Um, and so when I got recruited, there was only one school that like heavily, heavily recruited me as a heptathlete. And of course, the heptathlon, if you don't know, has seven events. It's the hurdles, the high jump, the shot put, the 200, the long jump, the javelin, and the 800 meters. Now, coming out of high school, I had run the 100, the 200, the long jump, and I high jumped. So I did four of the seven events that are in the multis, but I never hurdled before in my life. Um, I ran the 400 a couple times uh, my senior year, which I hated but did. And um, and I'd never thrown any implements, shot put, you know, javelin, that stuff. I always thought the, the throwers in high school had the easiest life ever. Like they didn't have to work out. They just showed up and threw the threw the ball around and sat around and talked, right? And so they were like, they had like the best, you know, I'm in high school running 10, 400 with coach Jones and the throwers over there having a good time, just sort of sitting around talking is what I could see. But <laughs> yeah, I'd never done, I never heard of heptathlon uh, before that. And UCLA was the only school that heavily recruited me as a heptathlete, you know, university of Illinois also recruited me. LSU recruited me. And uh, when I took visits, I took four visits. I didn't take my fifth visit. And I also got recruited to play, to play volleyball in college. So I had offers to play volleyball, I had offers to play track, had some offers to play basketball, but smaller offers. So I was recruited in all three sports. Wow. Um, but, you know, in my, my thought process at that time, you know, I was 12 years old when I first saw my Olympic Games on TV. And I was like, okay, having not run track yet, I'm like, that's what I want to do one day because I was just so, you know, so inspired by and impressed by the athletes I saw. Um, that I knew that going into college that I, I was going to run track because I hadn't at that time. I've told the story a bunch of times. I hadn't at that time seen any women on TV doing any sports. So when I was young, you don't see, you didn't see girls doing sports on TV. It was only during the Olympics. So there was no, you know, I've said this a million times. There's no WNBA. There's no beach volleyball. There's no, there's no women like being highlighted playing sports after college and so the olympics was the only thing in my mind that was like okay if i if i did this i could actually there's something i could do you know <laughs> if i was really good at it and so i chose a heptathlon i chose you know the heptathlon kind of chose me i can't say i chose the heptathlon <laughs> it sort of chose me and i went to a school i went to ucla where bob kersey was the head coach and bob kersey being the uh legendary uh coach of Jackie Joyner Kersey, who happens to be the world record holder in the heptathlon and the current coach of uh, world record holder, Sidney McLaughlin and, you know, coaches Allison Felix and coach Gail Devers and coached a long list of Olympians. And, um, 
And so I chose to go to UCLA, um, who outrightly recruited me as a heptathlete. University of Illinois was probably, um, you know, I was really torn between UCLA, Illinois, and LSU. LSU recruited me as a sprinter, as a straight sprinter. Um, but I chose to go to UCLA, not necessarily because, you know, Bob Kersey was there or Jackie Joyner Kersey was there because they, you know, they've had success over the years. I chose to go to UCLA because at that time, my recruiting process was horrible. Uh, my recruiting process was emotional and just, it was very, very taxing. Thank God for Nicolette Dennis, who was our activities director at the time, because my family didn't know, you know, I'm, I'm being recruited. We know nothing about this type of thing. And my family didn't know anything about getting recruited to college. And um, I didn't have a lot of uh, people who I'd known who'd been recruited before or, you know, what's the process like? Who do you ask questions of? And, you know, you go on visits. That's great. They come to your house and sit down and talk to you. Um, how do you make this decision? You're hearing all these stories about different schools. And, you know, Nikki Dennis, the, the folks at Rio Grande back then were, were amazing for me. I, I, I give a lot of, um, a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, love for the teachers and the administration at, at Rio Grande High School during that time because they were really my support system through that process. And uh, I ended up battling back and forth between UCLA and Illinois and chose UCLA on not because of athletic reasons. I chose UCLA because I thought to myself, if I was not successful in track and field, if things did not work out, if I just... You know, if I had to do something else and I was going to college, what city would I want to be in where I could actually have a chance of doing something else? And it was either Champaign-Urbana uh, or, or Los Angeles. So guess what I chose? <laughs> <laughs> so you choose Los Angeles, of course, because if, if, if life was going to present you with any opportunities, you'd rather be in L.A. than Champaign, I, I figured. So in that's a as a 17 or 18 year old girl, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you know what? If track doesn't work out and something happens and I need to be someplace where I can actually make something of myself, I'd rather be in LA than in, in Illinois. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that would make that same choice. <laughs> yeah, so, and it turned out, you know, it worked out well, you know, I went to school, got to be with Jackie Joyner-Kersey for those years and train with some great people. Gail Devers recruited me and you know, see some amazing things and accomplish some things and learn some things and um, and then grow as a person, ended up living in LA for 14 years. Wow. What was that transition like coming from, you know, Albuquerque, Rio Grande High School, and now you're at UCLA in LA? Like, I mean, what, what was that like? It, it, it was very, uh, very interesting because, you know, I grew up in the South Valley and my, we're a military family, we're an Air Force family. But I didn't travel a lot by the time my family retired. And so I grew up in the South Valley, you know. We don't have sidewalks down here. I, I, you know, I, I was fine, you know, with our little community and loved our community. And, you know, I'm a, a black girl growing up in a predominantly Chicano uh, neighborhood. And, you know, um, and so when I got to college, when I went to UCLA, I didn't feel like I was, like I was like, oh, got to earn my way. Definitely. Everybody out here is way better than I am. First of all, I and mean, Angela Burnham was in the Olympic trials and she was a freshman or a sophomore uh, when I was there as a freshman. And, you know, I had one of my teammates get a bronze medal in the Olympic team while I was there. So it was like, I met UCLA from Albuquerque, which is, you know, 
yeah, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not as good as these people are, right? <laughs> um, and then two, I got got to LA, and all my friends ended up being like Mexican or Latino. <laughs> I I I would I sort of gravitated to what I was what I was used to, and so my best friends through college were from Michoacan and Zacatecas in Mexico, and so uh, <laughs> so uh, you know I had a little bit of a transition there of like okay I spoke I spoke pretty good English I mean I articulated my 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 uh, my English pretty good and I like to read and all these things. So I had a little bit of a transition of, of blending in just to a different culture in LA because, you know, it's, it's LA is very diverse, but you know, you're dealing with, you know, you're a black girl who's most of her friends are Latino or from Nicaragua or whatever, or Spanish speaking. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went through that my first year and just being really homesick. I would think my first phone bill in the dorms was like $200. This is before we had cell phones. Right. I'm calling from the dorms and it's really expensive. And so I'm calling collect to my grandmother and, you know, blowing up my phone bill just because I was really homesick and um, felt a little out of place in the beginning because I felt like it was just so big and I was just trying to find my way. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of kids. I mean, Albuquerque and New Mexico, it's so different in, in so many ways. And so going out in these bigger cities, it can sometimes, um, I've had conversations with other people who have, you know, very, very similar <laughs> experiences and there's no good mexican food out there i'm like where's the where's what the what what is this stuff like you know mexican food in california next to in san diego especially in la is not the same as new New mexican mexican food right it was the food wasn't even the mexican food wasn't even real mexican food to me you know (laughs) (laughs) no green chili or red chili (laughs) no green chili no sopapillas their enchiladas were made the tacos were different (laughs) street tacos you know (laughs) <laughs> i love them now but back then it was like uh... <laughs> what uh you know as you transitioned into you know doing the the multi-events what was the hardest thing for you to pick up you know you said you hadn't done any of the throws obviously i mean when you're used to being more of a sprinter, jumping in and doing the 800 can be a little overwhelming. Um, what what was the most difficult for you? I didn't get good until, let me tell you, I never hurdled before. I think this is the the thing to know is that when I got to college, I had never hurdled before. And you have to run the 100 hurdles in the heptathlon. Right. Um, the javelin wasn't that difficult for me. Um, I happen to have a good arm. Uh, the shot put wasn't, you know, I caught into the shot put decently enough because I was strong. Uh, high jump took a dive. I was a five seven high jump in, in high jumper in high school. I got to college and my high jump sucked. <laughs> Just in in and uh, and so it took me by my third year in college. I qualified for NCAA's in the, in the hurdles. Um, so it took me a couple of years to learn how to hurdle, not not to learn to hurdle at a at a high level, a high enough level, right to go to go to nationals. So I qualified for nationals my junior year in the hurdles. I didn't actually do a heptathlon. The one heptathlon my freshman year, I actually didn't do a heptathlon until my fourth year. I redshirted a year. So I went to school for five years until my fourth year. Okay. Because I had, I, so I was used as a relay. I was a utility person for a number of years. You know, Bobby used me to... I was on the relays, you know, I was on NCAA qualifying, you know, all American relay. I, I sprinted, 
I um, hurdled. I did lots of individual events as I learned how to do the multi. And then eventually I did the multi. I ended up being fourth at NCAAs. Um, wow. Never winning, but I placed fourth at NCAAs once I, once I figured it out. I had to learn how to, you know, learn how to do the events. And so and de- I dealt with injuries, you know. You, you get to college and things are different. And, you know, I dealt with some injuries along the way. And so the most, the hardest thing for me to, to grasp, I think, was something that I was good at in high school. I high jumped well in high school. I didn't high jump very well in college. I liked the javelin. I ended up really, really enjoying javelin. I loved hurdling. And that's pretty, pretty much it. I actually was decent at all of the events and just seemed to have this mental block for someone of reason with high jump. I think I know what it is. I think I got scared. That's what it was. Uh, uh, Bob Kersey, he's known to like cuss people out. <laughs> I think my freshman year, my whole goal, my freshman year was not to get in trouble and not to get cussed out. And I think he scared me so much that first year um, for a large part of it. I mean, practices were really hard, harder than I've ever had in my life. And, you know, I'd seen some things because there's really good, really good people on our team that I, I just sort of whatever got really nervous whenever I had to high jump with him. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I think about it, I was like, you know, I was I was always really nervous high jumping with him. He didn't, yeah. That well, that makes sense. I mean, you're coming in, you're already a little homesick. The last thing you want to do is is have the coach upset with you. <laughs> oh no, he got upset with a lot of people. Trust me, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it wasn't just me. So it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't negatively. It was just kind of. He, that's just his personality, you know. He's, nowadays, you know, as a coach, now the things that I think about the things that. Uh, my college coaches were able to say and do when I was in college. There's no way we could do that stuff now. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh, it's, it's, it, it's, it may be tough. I can tell you that I, we were, we were some mentally tough kids. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I just think back even to, to high school and some of the, you know, when you had the football coaches running track practice and, you know, they, they ran it like football practice. And I mean, you, you, just had to do it and get through yeah pretty much we had mild time trials every monday it was like what <laughs> <laughs> don't i sprint <laughs> <laughs> so you know through all of this like you said i mean at 12 years old you knew you wanted to be in the olympics and you know, how did, how did you, as you're kind of struggling with some of this stuff and learning and, and, and all that, like, how did you keep that mentally? Like, this is still what I want to live. Um, well, I think initially, like when you're, when you're that young or when I was, when I was at that age, when I saw, when I was watching on TV, I didn't actually tell people that's what I wanted to do. And so, you know, as, as you go to high school, it's before high school, you go to high school and people see that you're a good athlete and they start People saying, oh, yeah, one day we're going to see the Olympics. One day we're going to see the Olympics. That kind of stuff starts happening. You get a college, you get a scholarship to go to, to go to, you know, one of the best, you know, academic and athletic universities in the country. And, and I remember being in college, being aware of the fact that we had multiple Olympians training at UCLA. So UCLA, we were, I mean, my freshman year, I was nobody, I mean, considering that Greg Foster was still there. Jeanette Bolden was still there. Andre Kaysen was there. John Smith was coaching the men. Um, we had uh, Jackie was still training. Um, uh, Sandra Farmer Patrick had come out that year to train. And, you know, 
Bobby coached a lot of people, you know, post-elite professional athletes in addition to his collegiate athletes. And um, I was just happy to be around, you know. <laughs> uh, and so I, I, I know over the years it kind of like went back and forth where I knew I had the talent. And I'll admit this, that during that time, my confidence wasn't that great, you know. I didn't have the I didn't have the, the, the most confidence in my in my ability um, throughout my years in college. I knew I was good. I had potential, but I always just thought it was just potential because I hadn't actually done anything that that um, was noteworthy compared to my teammates or the people that I was around. So, but I knew that this is something that I loved and I wanted to do, and I just kept you know I just kept working at it. And so once I graduated from college, you know, I kind of floundered around the post-collegiate black hole and, you know, went from one San Diego to another, I mean, to, from L.A. to another coach and took a year off. I quit, went to the Olympic trials in 90, 1996. You know, that didn't work out very well for me. So I quit a year and then just got kind of drawn back into track. But as I look back over my, my collegiate years, you know, much later, I realized for someone who I thought at the time, I thought I was... I didn't think I was the most talented person on my team by any means. Like my perspective at that time was I was definitely not the most talented person on my team in college, but I was probably the most resilient. And so when I later in life, when I look back on it and I started kind of just looking at our, at our teams during those years, during my four years there, I realized that of all the people who I, who were for sure more talented than I was, <laughs> In college, there's only three of us that made an Olympic team. It's myself, this girl named Susie Powell, who's a discus thrower, and this girl named Amy Acuff, who's a high jumper. Uh, I think Susie may have made one, Amy may have made two or three, and I made two Olympic teams. During my, you know, you, you're my, my, from my freshman year to my senior year of all the athletes that came in with me or after me that made Olympic teams. And so I was, you know, that's just a matter of, not because I was the most talented person on the team, it's the person I didn't that didn't quit. I had some talent, but you know I had talent, but definitely wasn't wasn't quitting. So it wasn't it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy road at, at all. I mean, I, I remember a time when, geez, I was in L.A. I had no money. I was living. My tags were expired on my car. Um, I think I had to live out of, live in my car for a little bit, and you know I had to live on someone's couch for a little bit, all to try to. I had, I had to eat 99 cent whoppers before practice because uh, <laughs> because I was, you know, trying to run track. You know, I spent, you know, I worked, but I was I wanted to run track, so I made a lot of sacrifices and you know couldn't afford a lot of things along the way because my time and energy, you know, you spend four hours a day at the track, and you know, going to a gym and getting gym gym memberships and. You know, in L.A., it's kind of cool when you're when you when you work in 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 the Hollywood area, you can eat at food craft services. So when they're making they're doing movies or stuff like that, you kind of find a way to to be a part of that. So you can go eat those kinds of things. I've done all that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I did a lot of. Different <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. And it's and you know, it's, it's it wasn't awesome at the time. Trust well, me. Well, no, <laughs> no. I mean, just just it's an amazing story because. You know, like you talked about, I mean, that post-collegiate, like, semi-professional world is, I mean, it's still very difficult. I mean, you have athletes. These athletes now, let me tell you, I, I now that I coach, I coach, you know, I coach a 10-9 a, a sprinter who ended up signing with Adidas, and 
I coached uh, a girl who from Jamaica who just, uh, you know, who's now medaled, won a world championships uh, medal. And, you know, I've, I'm coaching now and I'm coaching some elite athletes. You know, I just uh, coach athletes to world championships and stuff like that. I can tell you right now when I those first couple of years after college, there was no money available. These kids now have so much money available to them. Big difference. I mean, I was making my own uniforms. Oh, when, wow. You know, me and my friend would go and be like, oh, okay, we like this color, this color, have it made. I was making my own uniforms as an unattached athlete um, until, wow. until, Nike, until Nike finally gave me an equipment deal. <laughs> Nike finally gave me a bonus deal, an equipment deal uh, before the 2000 Olympic Games. Wow. And I graduated in 95. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I didn't get my first equipment deal until like 2000. And, uh, and so now these, these kids have it, have it, uh, have a lot, uh, a lot more opportunities and a lot easier. They don't struggle nearly as much as we used to, even though they struggle, nearly as much as we used to. Um, I moved, you know, I up and moved from LA to Kansas to go train with a coach, uh, in 99 because, you know, I know I want to do this track. They want to make an Olympic team. I had no money. Listen, this is, this is, I had no money. Um, when I, Cliff Revelto was the coach. He didn't actually say he was going to coach me. He just showed up at his door. was like, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I want you to coach me. And he was first had said no, but I just showed up. I showed up in Kansas and was like, okay, this is, you have to coach me basically. Um, but I had no money when I got there. A friend of mine who was a triple jumper and went to college there. Let me stay on her couch for a while. And then there's this gentleman that owns a restaurant in Santa Fe. There's this guy, his family, him and his wife who had read about me in the newspaper or whatnot out of the blue not because i asked not because i was looking for it uh sent me a letter told me who he was he's a real grand high school graduate from way back when and began to send me money wow so he began to just send me letters and send me money when wow. i got to kansas, when i got to kansas and so I built a relationship with him over the, you know, during that time over the years. And when I come back, he invited me and my family down to his restaurant, Santa Fe, to go visit. But he just began to support me. And so I was able to, uh, to get an apartment because he helped me. <laughs> uh, and this, the apartment I got was owned by this Iranian guy, Rahim Borhani. His kids were all geniuses. He let me rent this, like, two-bedroom duplex place for, like, under 500 bucks. <laughs> and he kind of helped me out you know then i got some you know you get some grant money here and there and then i got picked up with a uh i got picked up by general motors for this team behind the team promotion i did a uh gm commercial uh going into 2000 a general motors commercial i got a i got a i got a free car and wow. commercial and this commercial netted me you know i started getting residual checks after a while and so i didn't have to work I was, I was able to train because one, you know, the gentleman from Santa Fe in the beginning when I had nothing, absolutely nothing, was one of those godsends where it's like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. He just contacted me and was like, I'm going to help you. Wow. Um, I got picked up for the commercial and uh, did the promotions for General Motors, got a car, uh, then started collecting, you know, you know, it's nice. If you just, you just check start coming in. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, got a, a cheap place to, to, to rent where the guy became part of their family and invited me over to dinner. So he never really, you know, 
stressed me out about rent. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just things like that started happening. Um, all before I was picked up by Nike. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is, that is amazing. I mean, that, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, there's, there's so many, there's so many, there's, there's lots and there's, there's stories, there's things like that that you do. And it was, and that's when I began to believe that, you know, for whatever reason, I felt like, not for whatever reason, I, I felt like, you know, this track thing was what I was supposed to be doing. You ever do one of those things where this is, no matter what it looks like around, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life right now. This is what I was supposed to be doing with my life right now. Even if, with all the other things that were happening around, it's like, I, I'm not supposed to be doing anything else except this. And, um, and so you ask where the, where the, the, the motivation and the mental focus right. came from. It's like, I didn't feel like I was supposed to be doing anything else. And so you just keep moving forward. And as, as the doors open, you take the doors that open. As the doors close, you know, you kind of figure things, you figure out what to do next. But it was one of those things. Man. So, so what did it feel like getting to that first Olympics after all of this? Like feeling like you were meant to do this and, and going through these struggles. I and mean, what did that feel like? You know, it was, it was very, um, it was very, uh, there's two feelings for it. Making the Olympic team was amazing. Um, I got second, I think, or third, second or third. I think Didi won, who I'm still friends with, um, Didi Nathan. Uh, no, actually, Kelly, this other girl won, who ended up getting uh, testing positive, and then it was Didi, then me. Uh. Um, it was making the team was amazing. My whole family was there. You know, it was, you know, it was a big deal. I had friends, people, my friends from Albuquerque, my, my teachers from, from Albuquerque here came, my friends from, from San Diego came, and it was in Sacramento. It was amazing, right? Getting to the Electoral Olympic Games was a little disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> because when you're young, like for me, my whole idea, this whole thing of being 12, winning the Olympics and not really you know, just thinking about the work. I was always about, you know, just doing the work, doing the work. When you get there, you realize that, wait, the Olympic Village, this is not that, you know, you realize that you're stuck in a room, <laughs> uh, you know, two other people and your suitcase is sitting on the end of your bed because you don't have any place to put it. And you realize that, uh, you know, you're not in some nice hotel. <laughs> uh, you have nice cafeteria style food. And uh, unless you're a superstar, you are just there. <laughs> <laughs> and so my first Olympic experience was like, I didn't, I expected the experience to be something that was made for me. Like, they're going to treat us so special, right? It's going to be great because, no, we were, just, we were entertainment. <laughs> this is a show. This, oh, this, is my, this is my impression of my first Olympic game. So I'm just giving you the, the honest kind of real raw thing opening ceremonies was the best i think opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies at the olympic games that year um and being in australia were were the best the actual insides were you know sponsors and delegates and all that kind of stuff were probably more of the who the olympics were for in my opinion and so some of the other the other uh, athletes who had been who'd made a couple teams before me had to actually you know help me out mentor me <laughs> mentor me a little bit because they could see my shock and awe of like, I have to sleep here. What? This is where I'm. This is where I'm staying at. I'm in the Olympic Games. So after I got over that, <laughs> um, 
and, and I ended up no hiding at the games. I ended up not having a, 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 a great uh, performance. Um, and so I no hiding in the high jump and didn't perform that well. Uh, and so it was just a probably the best Olympics for me in spite of my performance because that's when I, I, I from there, I knew that my next Olympics was going to be different, that the experience I was going to have the next Olympics was going to be the experience that I made and I created instead of waiting to see, thinking that, oh, you know, you're an Olympian now. You're going to be treated like an Olympian. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not back then. Now it's a lot different. Uh, it's, it's, it's much better now. Right. Well, and, and so how did that next Olympics go? Let's, let's jump forward to that. Four years later, 2004. Well, I ended up, I ended up getting up. I ended up the next year after the Olympic Games was the World Championships in oh. Edmonton. Next year, I ended up meddling. I ended up uh, getting a bronze medal at the World Championships, and then the next year, I, I skipped the World Championships in Paris. I didn't go to Paris uh, one year because I was dealing with a knee injury and I didn't want to go. Um, I made the team, you know, I, I I made the team, but decided to to not go that year. Uh, Olympics were the next year. I made it, I made the team in Athens, and this experience was way, way better than my experience in Sydney competitively. You know, I ended up uh, getting fourth place. I ended up going in expecting, and it was it was it was disappointing too. But I, I was expecting to medal. Um, but unfortunately, going right before the trials uh, in 2004 maybe a little bit longer before the trials, but I had, I had this problem in my foot and then, you know, had my physio traveling with me everywhere. By the time I got to, um, after the trials, I went to a meet in, uh, in the UK. I went to Birmingham and was high jumping. And in this meet, I just felt this, you know, intense pain in my foot. When I got an x-ray, my foot's broken. Oh. <laughs> so my foot is like literally fractured in uh in one of my metatarsals and i i was high when i was high jumping it just all of a sudden i guess, guess that was the end that was the end of it it just so i spent uh, a month leading into going into athens you know trying to find uh every physio in every city that we went to and and in pain and doing bike workouts and 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 lifting when I can, knowing that I couldn't run. And I'm still, I'm, I'm in Europe already, so I have to stay there until I get to Athens. Like, I don't go back, I don't come back to the U.S. I stay there, I go from meet to meet in, you know, in Europe until I got to, until I got to Crete, which is where we did our, our training camp. And, um, and up until, you know, I'm going to make the story a lot shorter, but basically my foot was fractured and I'm, you know, crying every two seconds. And the, uh, the coaching staff for the U.S. team had called me at one point saying, you know, wanted to do a, you know, make sure I, I was fit enough to compete because they were calling the alternate. Uh, oh, wow. The alternate to come and replace me because I had to show proof of fitness because they knew that I was, you know, hurt and not training while I was while I was traveling. Um, I pretty much told them I'm going to compete. You know, I don't care what you say. You think, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, and, and the coach that uh, the coach had to call me and you know, Coach Craig Poole has, was a person who had to call me and, and basically ask me, okay, hey, how are you? Uh, we're considering, you know, calling uh, an alternate for you because you're injured and you can't compete. And, you know, I was a very nice girl back then, so I didn't say the, I didn't use any, any bad words, but I pretty <laughs> much 
I pretty much said, uh, forget you, I'm going to compete. And, um, and they called the alternate anyways, who happened to be another friend of mine, another athlete. They called her to say, hey, get ready because we might have to send you over to compete. And she asked which athlete, who, who's, you know, what happened, who is it? And they said, hey, it's Sheila Burrell. And my friend was like, oh no, Sheila's gonna compete. She's like, I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, because that's just kind of, that's the kind of athlete I was. That's a little crazy, I admit. But they were like, oh yeah, Sheila, Sheila's gonna compete. I, it's, it's gonna be fine. And so she was like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, I get to I get to um, to Athens maybe a few days before in the Olympic Village, and I'm still having this problem with my foot. I'm able to train now. Like I found I got tape jobs after tape job. I saw every doctor I could see, you know. Then finally I ran into this a USA uh, team swim doctor. I was in the training room with a swim doctor, and I'm in there kind of figuring out what to do with my foot. And he looks at me and he says, "Yeah, I can help you with that." And he says, "I've seen this before." And he, he, not the not the track and field doctors, is a swim doctor, said all they have to do is they injected my foot with lidocaine, stuff that you numb your your mouth with. Right. So he said, let's try this today. This is the day before. This was the day before I competed. <laughs> right. This is when I this is when I finally ran into this. This is when I finally got a doctor that would like had a solution for me. Um, he, I didn't even tell my coach at that time. I just was like, let's do it. He was, let's try this. We injected my foot with lidocaine, walked around on it, saw it, felt, I didn't feel any pain. So they said, we could do this, you know, <laughs> this works, it's okay. So I had my foot in 2004 in Athens, my foot injected five times over the three, the day before, two times on the day one, two times on day two, five times over that three-day period with lidocaine to get me through the competition, and I still got fourth. Wow. So, and I still expected a medal. <laughs> and so the, the experience was, you know, there's a lot of lessons that came out of that. You know, I would say that, you know, I had already done a visa commercial that year and it's like, okay, I know that I'm going into, I'm going to medal at this Olympic games. And my training partner was there with me. She's a, my training partner was from Lithuania. Now, not only did I get fourth, which is a little bit, which is hard, which is the worst place in the Olympic games to finish, but my training partner uh, got second. Oh. And that was probably the first time she'd ever beat me. Wow. And so she ended up getting second and uh, I got fourth. And, you know, it was, it was a, it was hard. <laughs> it was painful. Yes. Um, and of course, a number of years later, you look back on it and it's, you know, you find, you find the, you find the silver lining in those, in those types of situations. But I do remember this. The one thing that came out of that experience was I didn't really tell the U S uh, team, uh, what was going on. I just sort of like, I, I had in my mind that I was here to medal, so I'm going to compete uh, until the very end of the competition. I was going to believe that I was going to be at medal stand until the very end of the competition. So it wasn't that I was running around telling everybody, oh, my foot, my da, da, da. No, I'd sneak off. I'd leave and go to another venue where the doctor was, to his venue where he was, to get injected and come back <laughs> to uh, the venue I needed to be at or come back to the uh, village. I'd wake up at like four or five o'clock in the morning to go meet them so I could actually make it to the track on time to get my foot injected. And so I did all of this kind of like on my own, essentially. Wow. And, um, and so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this thing. And in the end, at the end of the competition, when it was all said and done and I got fourth and coaches began to realize, because, you know, at that point, it's sometimes it was like, it's just, uh, 
hard not to tell something was wrong with me. <laughs> um, at that point, they got a clue toward the end, you know, that, that something was going on. And I would say this, that that, uh, that experience in that competition probably, even though I didn't get a medal, probably earned me, uh, you know, the level of respect uh, that I have in the sport right now. Because I walked out of that competition, out of the Olympic Games, having um, earned the respect of a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches that I think today carries over to the um, respect and reputation I have in the sport now. That's, that is amazing. I mean, and that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the sugar-coated kind of light, easy version. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure we could delve way deeper into that. That is amazing. Just the, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine running on one numb, numb foot or trying to jump or yeah. any, like anything. That's, that's, I mean, that's a level of toughness that you don't often see. <laughs> At, at one point, I think it would go hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200. At one point during the shot put, they kind of, the schedule's kind of spread. At one point during the shot put, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, the time. Cause I can, I know I only have like four or five hours for this before the lidocaine wears off. And the schedule's a little bit delayed. And I'm like praying and hoping that the shot put is over as soon as possible so that I can actually go get something in my foot before the 200. That's how it was. I was like, okay, I only have this much more time left. I hope that this is over soon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard to run for a coach who has done something like this. And when they're coming in complaining about, you know, oh, yeah. some little injury. <laughs> yeah. No, my athletes, uh, my athletes all know. I coach, a, I coach a heptathlete right now. I coach Shari Hawkins. Um, right now and she had this she had a similar situation happen to her in doha we were in qatar in 2019 in doha and uh she strained the ligaments in her ankle uh, just before we were leaving to go to go to the meet to the competition and she ended up competing she got 12 in the in the competition she ended up competing with with you know basically no ligaments in her ankle wow. and i told her that story as well and she you know she she kind of took that to heart and was like okay we're gonna do this <laughs> 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 so i mean how i know during this time you you were doing some assistant coaching and stuff like this what brought you into coaching was it just the fact that it was the easiest way to continue training or did you did you enjoy it or, or how'd you get into it no it's it's coaching was i i always wanted to be i thought what i thought i was going to do you know you're in college you, i'm in high school you think what you think you're going to do um I thought I was going to be a, a, a teacher. Uh, I, I majored in English literature. Okay. So I was an English, an English major. So I thought that, you know, I wanted to teach adults. I thought that I would, you know, go to college and then continue in, in academia and become a, a professor. Um, even if it was, I didn't care if it was at a, at a major university or a junior college, I just knew I wanted to teach adults. And then what ended up happening is that while I was in college, I started personal training. So the Riviera Country Club, which is in Brentwood, California, which is not far from from UCLA, <laughs> the place where uh, where uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and uh, and uh, O.J. Simpson used to come play golf right before the White Bronco. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I was at the Riviera all the time. <laughs> I would see those guys out there all the time before wow. the White Bronco incident. <laughs> um, so I I I was sort of personal training. 
uh, I met a friend who taught me, you know, taught me a lot, took me under his wing um, and started personal training at the Riviera Country Club. And while I was at the Riviera, you know, I started, um, I started this thing with, you know, you're, you're in LA and you're in Brentwood and, you know, there's all these Hollywood executive wives and, you know, the actor from Young and the Restless used to come to our gym. And so you, you're around a lot of celebrities. And so I would, uh, I started personal training in the gym. I started teaching these, uh, these wives of these uh, Hollywood executives, uh, wives how to sprint. So I used to have this thing where I could teach you how to fly. So I'd take, I, I'd start building this clientele of teaching people how to run, how to sprint. Wow. It became kind of, kind of a trendy kind of niche thing uh, for me there while I was in college. And then I also, so that, that was kind of, it came natural to me. It wasn't like I had to, it just came natural. I had to enjoy it. And then I was always the, the, the athlete on the team. I was team captain by the time my senior year, junior senior year came around. I was a team captain um, on my team. Um, but I, I was always that person that was trying to help. You know, the freshman would come in, they wouldn't know how to do something. They'd get in trouble or try to figure something out. I, I was the person who bring them out to the track. Okay, let me show you how to do it, right? Or kind of like, let me help you. And um, after that, my personal training, that's how I made money, actually, those first few years. Um, when I graduated, I started personal training at Gold's Gym in Hollywood, Gold's Gym in Northridge. And I was personal trained. But my personal, tra personal training clientele wasn't just gym. I would actually take those people out to the track and teach them how to do stuff, which was, you know, not normal, but I did it anyway. Um, and they had fun. They enjoyed it. You know, I kept it pretty low level, but I was sort of coaching, uh, coaching naturally, teaching naturally. And then finally, um, I became a volunteer assistant at one of the local uh, universities there. And as a volunteer assistant, I got to train as well and uh, made the my first Goodwill, Goodwill Games team. And they made a world championship team at that year while I was volunteering at this one school. So I was helping them coach. And I just kept coaching from there. The only times I didn't coach uh, were during Olympic years. I volunteered. I coached high school. I coached club track. I had the fastest eight-year-old in San Diego at one point. Um, <laughs> you know, I coached, uh, you know, that's, now, now I've coached collegiates. I've coached post-collegiates. Um, you know, I just coached anybody and everybody that I, that, uh, I could during that time while I was training. That's, that's fantastic. Does the coaching now help, you know, keep your uh, competitive spirit alive? Listen, I, uh, I'm, I'm almost 50 now, right? And I continue to train. I still, I was still training like on the track running workouts with my athletes in my, in my early forties. So I just stopped running actually. Maybe I just stopped running when I was like 40, I think. Like, I was like, you guys can't keep up with them anymore. <laughs> I could I could keep up with them until about until I was about forty. Um, wow! Now I can still out drill most of them, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still very competitive. Uh, I'm still very vain. I still want to look good. I still try to look like an athlete as much as I can. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so it's it's hard for my athletes to to say they they can't do something or I don't understand what they're what they're going through when you know I can still do it. <laughs> I mean, you can't, it's, it's hard enough, I'm high school kids getting beat by their coach. So to have a, their college coach out there being able to, to hang with them, that's, that's tough. <laughs> I, only, I only did things I could keep up with them with it. Like I would run tempo <laughs> workouts with them. So you know, you know you do 200 repeats? Mm -hmm. I did 200 repeats with my, with my girls for several years during the fall. The fall-based conditioning, I would run that with them sometimes. Because I, I became a head coach when I was 36. And so 
when I became the head coach at San Diego State, I just come from Georgetown. I trained with the kids at Georgetown, the head coach at San Diego State. You know, I wasn't completely out of shape or, you know, I wasn't out of it completely. So when we did tempo workouts, I did tempo workouts with them when I didn't have to coach. You know, when we were just doing right. eight times 200, eight times 200 with, with, I don't know, 90 seconds rest or whatever it was, I would do that workout with them. <laughs> that is. I don't, I don't do that anymore, though. No more. <laughs> <laughs> not, not get me out there at all. I'll get on a bike now. <laughs> that's still pretty amazing that's i mean you don't often hear that you know at the at the college level and then so that's i think that's it's great <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah now like uh, i don't know i i try to you know i try to warm up with them now that's probably the most i can do now is in the mornings we, we practice at 6 a.m in the morning so i'll do the, the warm-up jogs and the, the warm-up with them and that's about that's the limit that's the, the most i'll do with them now <laughs> Uh, I mean, oh man, that I, I I was telling you before. I have a buddy, a couple of buddies in in San Diego, and um, one of them often does his runs pretty early, and so we share, you know, what we're running. And man, that weather at six a.m. is beautiful <laughs> out there. We um, yeah, we're a six to eight a.m. morning group, and then we lift in the afternoon, lift later on that day. That's that's awesome. <laughs> so I I don't often get to, I mean, I've talked to some collegiate coaches, um, haven't really, I mean, I, I did talk to a college uh, heptathlete, but, you know, I was curious about your thoughts about the fact that, you know, women still do the heptathlon and men do the decathlon and having that is I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The only people who really care about this are track people. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this, that as an athlete, as an athlete, I was anti-decathlon. Okay. Because I was not a big fan of the pole vault. <laughs> Fair enough. That was my personal, my personal reason for never really want, ever wanting to do a decathlon because I refused to pole vault. Um. Now saying that, decathlons are being competed now. Like people are doing, women are doing decathlons now. I I am still a, I'm still old school in that the heptathlon's more of a speed power event and the decathlon's more of a strength, uh, endurance, a strength power kind of event. Um, you know, I think it just changes the type of athlete that does it. It's not good or bad. It just changes the athlete who does. The heptathlete is going to be different from a decathlete in terms of what their strengths were um, and where you score the most points. And so, you know, I think the, the propensity for injury, in my opinion, is higher because <laughs> uh, we're always hurt, right? If you're a multi-eventer, you're never not hurt. Something's always bothering you. If it's not your hamstring or your glute or you got something in your groin or there's something, you're never like, you feel good, but it doesn't last very long. <laughs> um, so it's like, you know, the decathlon's cool, but, you know, you just, it's, just and decathletes the same way. There's always something wrong with them, right? There's always something niggling. There's something, and so, um, you know, me personally, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of decathlons just because I wouldn't have pole vaulted myself. But you know, I think that it if it if it um, if it changes the the kind of athlete we 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 have in the sport and you know it promotes the sport even more, then then great, go for it. Well, that makes sense. But <laughs> uh, so I mean. <laughs> We've, we've, we, we talked a lot about your career, 
we haven't been able to talk too much about the the coaching but i do want to i mean you've had a pretty successful year there at, or not year but your time there at san diego state has has been pretty good i think you've won something like in your 13 years like five or six mountain west outdoor championships yeah i think so i think it's it might be six oh we just won this last year yeah i mean that's that's pretty yeah. amazing you know yeah it's um it when i got to san diego state um the former head coach that was actually a good friend of mine and i got there in 20 in 2009 i think um san diego state had only ever won one conference championship wow. in the 20 plus years uh, before i got there and you know we've been fortunate enough to win uh i think it's five or six i can't remember right now i think one indoor and the rest of them were outdoor championships we've won some back-to-back -back championships and um and it's just a it was it's a i'm a grinder basically <laughs> You know, I got when I first and within three years while I was there, we we placed in the top ten in the country. Within five years, we were in, we were top twelve in the country. Then we maintained top twenty five for a few years after that. Um, I'm a grinder in the sense that I just when I first got there, all I did was work and recruit and work and recruit and work and recruit. And you know, I, I have to attribute some of the success to the staff that I have that sort of supports. Uh, supports me and the way I do things and what the expectations and the standards are of what we have there. Um, I'm an easy person to work for. I just have standards and expectations. As long as we're working along those standards and expectations, we're good and everybody's having a good time. It's just, you know, when things kind of get out of whack is when we're not having a good time. So, but those who come along and who've worked for me have, have um, supported and believed in, you know, the direction that I wanted to go. And that sounds all like a bunch of coach speak, but it comes down to this. It comes down to this. I don't like losing. <laughs> and you know i'm in a mid-major program uh so we're kind of like an underdog meaning that you know we're not i'm not alabama i'm not lsu i'm not you know usc uh, uh i'm i'm not ucla we're a mid-major program and, and you know we're and we're the there's power fives and then there's the group of five we're the probably the top school uh, in the group of five in this whole you know paradigm we have now in collegiate athletics this arms race we have i'll call it an arms race and that includes athletics um right. And the being in the position of being an underdog is kind of what I'm used to, you know, like I've never really, I've never really felt like, you know, I've, I've always felt like I had something to prove, like we got to prove how good I am. And so being at San Diego State actually worked out well for me because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this, as a heptathlete, you run the hurdles and you're running hurdles against people who only hurdle, like that's their main event. Like that's their specialty. As a multi-eventer, I do hurdles in addition to six other events, seven other, six other events, right? Right. So when I get in a race against someone who's a hurdler and that's all they do, and they're an elite hurdler, I want to beat them. And if I beat that elite hurdler, it makes me feel good because I do other things besides just hurdle. And that's what you spend all your time doing. That's kind of like San Diego State for me. <laughs> I'm, at San Diego State. I'm at San Diego State. I'm not at UCLA. I'm not at SC, I'm not at Alabama, I'm not at LSU, I'm not at Georgia, I'm not at these major football powerhouse, you know, FBS schools, but guess what? I enjoy beating you. And so our goals then when I got to San Diego State was, so my goal is not just to 
do well in conference. My goal is I want to be visible on a national level. And so if that means I have individual national champions, then I'm working my butt off to have individual national champions. Um, I'm going to recruit the top athletes, whether, you know, they think San Diego State is big enough school for them or not. I'm still going to recruit you and show you my program. We get some of those kids. We don't lose all of them now. So it's just a matter of, uh, of I think coaching is an expression. I learned this. Coaching is, coaching is an expression of your personality. And so you coach through your personality in a lot of ways. And, um, and I just like, I don't mind being the person or the team that has something to prove. And so we, we just work really hard. And my, and my kids, my kids buy in, my athletes buy into the fact that, you know, you've got to be excellent uh, in what you do that, you know, in order to do something you've never done before, you have to do something you've never done before. So we're going to work hard. Uh, we're going to prove ourselves. We're going to have fun along the way. Uh, there's no reason kids should go to college and not get better. You know, this is my, my claim to fame is that if you come to San Diego State, you have to get better. You know, you should be PRing. I've seen so many people go to college and not get better. They get worse. And I didn't want that to be my program because I'd seen all the different, I've seen the back end. I've seen the, you know, I've seen what, what, the, what, what, the, what the hype is and I've seen what it looks like behind the scenes. And it's like, I just want to have a program where I can enjoy track and field and not get caught up in all the other stuff. So I keep track and field, um, track and field at San Diego State as best I can. Yeah, that's a great philosophy. I absolutely love that. And yeah, it's, it's not common. Let me tell you, in the collegiate <laughs> athletics right now is is uh, it's it's not about it's not about athletes. It's not about it's not about uh, the mission isn't to you know um, mentor and develop young men and women um, through sport. That's not what it's about anymore. Uh, and so I try as best I can to hold on to that at SDSU, which is why you know I'm not gonna kill myself to manipulate kids or abuse kids to win a national championship you know and and, and i'm not gonna lie to kids to win a national championship and compete kids injured to win a national championship we're gonna we're gonna enjoy track and field and have fun and win and you know winning is just different for everybody else i i you made me want you make me want to go out for a run right now like <laughs> you got me <laughs> I you got I I I can I can hear you just just telling these kids that and, and getting them pumped like I, I'm I'm excited just just from that like <laughs> oh really I'm just talking I know that's because I, I believe this stuff <laughs> that's what I mean like I can I can hear your passion in it and that's 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 awesome like it's just it's it's amazing to hear that passion in coaches in at any level because you know that they really love it and they you know they really love those kids that they're there for it's it's yeah it's amazing yeah at the collegiate level it's it's especially it's uh you know especially at this in this time in this sort of you know social media name the kids getting paid now and coaches getting you know bigger salaries and bigger bonuses and you know the egos that are involved and it's no longer about you know the athletes anymore I'm going to be a diehard. And as long as I keep it about the athletes, I, I, I don't care about the other stuff. I just want to be able to go to work and enjoy it. And, and, you know, in the beginning, when I first got to San Diego State, I'll tell you this, I went out and got a bunch of, you know, athletes, you know, junior college kids and get the good kids. And then I came down to, you know what, I have to like you if I'm going to coach you. <laughs> so then I became, became a little more savvy and began to recruit kids that I wanted to, that I liked as people. 
And so if, if I like you as a person and you can, you understand who I am as a person, we can work together. I started to stop sacrificing, um, you know, winning a championship for being in an environment that's toxic. So I just try to keep a very track and field, track and field pure environment as much as I can while I'm the head coach there so I can enjoy the sport. I'm still old school enough to say, I'm old school and new school, but I just want to enjoy the sport. And as the sport is changing because of everything that's happening, you know, in our culture, I'm just preserving it as much as I can. In my world, at least. (laughs) I, 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 I think that's amazing. I, I love it. And I would want any of my kids to go and run for you. <laughs> I hear that all the time until they go to some school and they go, oh my God, see the football stadium? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until somebody flashes a football stadium in front of them, it's like, ah. <laughs> well, it, you got the perfect weather in the beach. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, we, we do all right. We do pretty good. <laughs> I don't lose them all. We do pretty good. <laughs> oh, you know, I know I can sit here. I could talk to you, I know, for another hour. But I think I think this is a this is a great point to kind of wrap up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I thank you for, for being patient enough to track me down. And I know you've you've tried to reach me more than once. Um and just uh lots of things going on and COVID and kids and Oh I know <laughs> family and you know all that stuff going on where me being able to actually be in Albuquerque. I figured it'd be best for me to do it while I'm here in Albuquerque and not in San Diego to, to connect with you. But thank you for being patient and, um, and for asking me to be on. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've got one more question for you. And that's just how I, the last question I ask everybody. And that's, uh, what are you listening to now to get yourself pumped and ready to go up for that 6 a.m. practice? <laughs> So this is not, uh, I'll tell you, whenever, as an, I'll tell you, as an athlete, and now, as an athlete, I never listen to hype music before. I, I always listen to really mellow music. <laughs> like, I'm a mellow, like, my pre-hype is very mellow. Like, I'm all about, like, love songs and, like, pop songs and, like, <laughs> and, like feel good, kind of chill, happy songs. <laughs> um to get myself going because in my head, I'm already really intense. Yeah. <laughs> and so I need things to calm me down. So I'm very, I don't need hype music. I need to be calm. Um, and then my music choice. So I, I, I do like a lot of quiet, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I'm one of those people that don't tell anybody else, but I'll have my headphones on just so people won't talk to me. <laughs> so It'll be plugged into my phone. I'll have my headphones on just because I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be quiet. That's awesome. <laughs> so I like the quiet quite a bit. <laughs> hey, coaching life is busy. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I'll be traveling. Put your headphones on. Walking around. Put your headphones on. There's no music. I just want to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, Again, thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm 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 gonna reach out to you again at some point and and talk more coaching stuff because I, I I love it. I think this is great. And yeah, you ever, if you want to call me if you want to call me back in the future, we want to have a conversation about you know uh, 
Division One uh, athletics in general. I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I awesome. I'm 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 right. I'm going to write that down. And so I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you enjoy your your last few hours here in town with your family. Is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? Uh, no, we, you know, we talked quite a bit and I, I just want to say thank you again for being patient enough to track me down to, <laughs> to, to do this. It's been great. Um, you know, all the good luck to you this season and, uh, and until we talk again. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time. And thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at runningnewmexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.